Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Eric. Hello, Ward. Hello, listeners. Hello, Hoosier Nation. Mm, I, I just struggled there. Yeah, that's all right. It's early. Uh, listen, we interviewed, should we, now, since this is kind of weird, this is an old episode that we're repackaging for... Pete, for, oh, <laughs> I can't say yeah, it that well, way. And I didn't you let me you right into it. it. No, you kind of did. But I should have said, you know, because we're repackaging this since now we are powered by... I I I thought I was actually on drugs for a minute while yeah, you were doing that. That was trippy. Because like you were you 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 hit a plateau, mm-hmm. you held the tone, and then you just like raised it up. Like it was harmonics. You yeah, were doing listen, some really advanced stuff with that. I'm not going to predetermine what I do with that. It just I start it, and then the spirit takes me. The Hoosier spirit takes me wherever it wants to go, and I follow it. I'm just a I'm just a passenger on this journey. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us along for the ride. So So, this is interesting because we're setting up an interview that happened pre-powered by pigs. There's a reason, but you didn't. But you didn't go heavy with the powered by. There's a reason why we both have our roles in this. It's true. This is one of our first interviews that we ever did that some of you may have heard before, but many of you haven't, and. We wanted to bring it back to share with the Pigs audience because it was an incredible interview with a guy that has been a guy ten, a guy ten, <laughs> a J guy ten, a J guy ten, that has been uh, the source of some controversy over the years. He had a big spat with Dan Dockich for a while. Uh, a guy that, when you look at his stats and his performance. It is incredible what he did at IU. One of the all-time greats without question. And and what you just said is interesting because most people, I think, wouldn't precede his name with what you just said. But it is unequivocal. He is an all-time great performer at Indiana University, and he deserves more due than he has gotten over the years. And, and he has said as much, feeling a little bit, you know— maybe uh ignored forgotten and of course he also had the the 
the unfortunate timing of being there at the end of the night era, as we were. We all suffered through this together, but he was our guy. He made it real fun to go and watch those games, and with him in it, we knew we'd always have a chance, and there were some real spectacular finishes as a result. But, you know, look, that we should qualify this. This was before we had nicer equipment. Yes. Uh, the audio isn't the best, but you should be able to understand yes. most of what is said. Please just bear with us. We think that the interview is definitely worth sitting through the poor audio at times. AJ was honest with us. He was transparent with us. You could tell there's still some wounds that have not healed. Um, but he deserves, I think, the Hoosier Nation's uh, second look at his career, or third look, fourth look, because it deserves to be celebrated. And you can hear how much he loves IU and loves Hoosier Nation. And part of what we want to do on this podcast is kind of explore the entire history of players and coaches and people that have surrounded the program. And there is no doubt that for the last four years of Bobby Knight's career at Indiana, A.J. Guyton was the star. There was Kirk Haston for sure in those last several years, but A.J. Guyton was kind of a rock for those last several years. And when you look at it on paper, as I said, and we'll get into in the interview, his career is just staggering. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Nation, this is a very special night for us. My name is Ward Roberts, and I'm here with Eric Pankowski, my fellow fellow Hoosier hysteric. I'm so excited. I'm having trouble talking. Eric, would you like to introduce the listeners, to our very special guest tonight, run down a little bit of who this gentleman is. I would love to. Our guest today played for the Indiana Hoosiers in the late 90s. He was Big Ten Freshman of the Year. He was Big Ten Co-MVP his senior year. He was first team All-American. He is fourth on the all-time scoring list at Indiana behind only Calbert Chaney, Steve Alford, and Don Schlunt. That would be our first Don Schlunt me uh, mention on our podcast. He was before our time. A little before our time. He is in the top 10 of assists all-time at Indiana, in the top 10 of steals all-time at Indiana, the all-time leader in three-pointers made with 283. He shot a career 41.4% from the three-point line, which anyone who's watched the Indiana Hoosiers this year, we don't know what 40% means from the three-point line. He's averaged 19.7 points his senior year. The bottom line is he is one of the all-time Hoosier greats, not to mention an Indiana University Hall of Famer. Please welcome our very special guest, A.J. Guyton. We are we are honored to have you on the on the show, AJ. Can you before we get started? Can you just tell everybody where you are right now? You're on the East Coast. We're on the West Coast. Tell everybody where you are and what you're up to right now. Uh, right now, I'm uh, coaching at uh, Loyola University at Maryland, which is located in Baltimore. Playing in the Patriot League. This is my first season as an official uh, assistant coach in uh, NCAA Division One basketball. Uh, last year, I was at Northwestern as director of player development, and it was kind of my stepping stone to get to this point. And uh, having a great time doing it, guys. I, I will say, I did some some quick studying up on Loyola and Maryland, and noticed that. Be, and I'm going to give you all the credit for this: that in the Ken Palm rankings, the offense has upped their rating about a hundred spots since last year. So I'm giving you the credit for that. 
Absolutely. You know, we, we are all about player development here. We're all about teaching guys how to play the game and, uh, and have all the skills necessary to score the basketball. That's number one for us. Yeah, well, they're, they're learning for somebody who definitely knew how to score the basketball. So I think what we'd love to do is go back to the beginning a little bit. Yeah, what well, we like to kind of take you through the chronological career here, uh, starting growing up in Peoria, Illinois. Let's start before even Indiana comes into the picture. You start playing as a young child, I'm sure, in the state next door to the great state of Indiana. Obviously, the Bulls had some stuff going on uh, before you got to IU. How big of a deal was Indiana basketball? Did you Were you aware of it? Did you watch them on TV? Was it a thing for you before you started entertaining the idea of playing basketball there? You know, to be perfectly honest, uh, I'm from a, a small town in central Illinois, Peoria, Illinois. Uh, and uh, in that area, was heavy on Bradley University basketball and uh, University of Illinois basketball in Illinois State. So, you know, that's kind of started my education on those different conferences, different and different teams. But, uh, you know, I would uh, always watch Big Ten basketball. And Indiana, Illinois had great big time battles back in the early 90s. So I was able to watch those. So, you know, I was just a fan of the sport. And, uh, you know, my, my dream was just to play college basketball. It didn't matter to me exactly where. It was just who wanted me. The relationship was great. And uh, and I wanted it. And I would be able to play at that particular university. So it was a great – it was a it was a good – I grew up in a basketball town. Peoria is a basketball city. Uh, a lot of our – we have a lot of former Big Ten players from Peoria. You think about uh, Illinois guys. Uh, Sergio McLean, um, for Frankie Williams, Marcus Griffin, uh, even back back in the early '80s, Tony Weisinger, Doug Altenberger from University of Illinois, Chris Reynolds. Uh, Chris Reynolds, uh, uh, big guy. Uh, uh, it's a big guy from Rich Ritual is that Coach Knight actually recruited at Indiana back in the late '70s, and uh, but ended up transferring to uh going to uh, purdue i believe and so peoria is a, a real big was a real big basketball city back in those days so you know it was just all about following the footsteps of the guys before you getting a college education and going to play at indiana and and for and fortunately for me i didn't know a whole bunch about indiana uh because uh you know knowing about coach knight and and, and his and who he was i, I really did wasn't educated about it and you know it really Paid a, played a factor in not, you know, in my decision to go to Indiana because, you know, I had nothing to fear, nothing to think about. So, right. Uh, you know, that was just a, you know, it was a, it was a time where, um, you know, I, I was just trying my best to get to college and, and cause, because I knew my parents weren't going to be able to pay for college and, uh, and, and do basketball was going to be the way that I, you know, I made something of myself. So, um, you know, just to answer your question, I was, I was kind of, I was aware but I wasn't deep into you know the history of Indiana basketball before I committed. Uh, AJ, I have to share a, a little personal story. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as we said, the name of the show is Hoosier Hysterics, so we admit we are crazy. You mm-hmm. know what in- crazy Indiana fans are. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, so not too far from Peoria. Mm-hmm. And in 1989, I was a 12-year-old kid. Indiana was set to play... Illinois at Assembly Hall in Bloomington. That was the Illinois team that had Nick Anderson on it. Yeah. And it was a terrible snowstorm that morning. 
and we were set to drive. My dad was is an Indiana University alum. My mom is an IU alum. We were going to drive to Indiana and see the game against Illinois, but the roads were too bad, so we didn't go. I cried like a baby. I was so upset. We sat at home, and we watched that game, and in that game, Nick Anderson, who I will always hate forever, hit a you know, beyond NBA three after Jay Edwards hit an incredible shot for Indiana to take the lead. Nick Anderson comes down and breaks all of our hearts. And I have to tell you, I blamed my parents. (laughs) I told them had we gone to the game, that wouldn't have happened. So my parents were the reason that I have hated Illinois since that moment uh, because of that. So I, I have to tell you, Ward and I both, could not be happier that you chose to go to Indiana. So let's talk a little bit well, about and, that. And, and specifically of the years 1996 to 2000, because mm. AJ, I was very aware of you. <laughs> you maybe weren't so aware of Eric and I uh, <laughs> over at the theater department at that time in the telecom building. But I, in fact, was exactly there from 1996 to 2000. And my wow. greatest memories that I remember through the many natural lights I might have had before going to Assembly Hall, you really, you made it so much fun to go to those games. And when you were guys were on the road, we'd be at Knicks or we'd be in our room watching those games. And just to have you on, who I feel is is our guy, you know, it, um, we're 40-year-old we're men at this point, but we were kids back then. And you made the basketball experience in Bloomington wonderful. And so before we get to reliving some of those moments, you grew up in Peoria. You were a basketball guy. You were aware of Indiana, but it it didn't have a a special place in your heart. Mm -hmm. You are now a senior in high school, junior in high school. You're being recruited. You're a highly coveted athlete. How does Bob Knight come into your life? How do you choose Indiana University? Uh, It's an an interesting story. I was... uh... I started to get recruited by, kind of recruited by Indiana my junior year in high school. And uh, if you remember at that time, my junior year was 95. And I think in the backcourt at Indiana was Steve Hart and uh, Sharon Wilkerson was in the backcourt and Neil Reed uh, was in the backcourt. So I think uh, they they had a solid season as a, as a, as a backcourt. So they kind of stopped recruiting me starting beginning of my senior year. And um, um, when, and how I was connected to Indiana was through Chris Reynolds. Uh, Chris Reynolds uh, played in the uh, in the '90s with Calvert and those Final Four teams, and he was one of the starter, like captains and starters. Current current uh, um, the athletic director at Bradley University now. He's from Peoria. We went to the same high school, played for the same high school coach. So uh, there was a guy that had a plane that would fly over to. Uh, uh, Indiana game. So when I was starting to be recruited, I started to come to the games. I'm like, and it still didn't register to me that they were actually interested in me for real. But um, so that's kind of how the relationship began. And then uh, I remember, uh, you know, we were playing a team, Springfield High in Peoria. And uh, uh, they had, after a while, they had, I guess they started to re recruit me uh, because I believe Wilkerson had gotten into some type of issue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that well. I was there in yeah. Indiana when he got into the issue. <laughs> so he got kicked off the team. Yes, he did. Wow, they need a guard. So they come to a game, and we're playing against Springfield High. And Springfield High, they sent Tim Knight to watch the game. What a Coach Knight's sons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, I remember exactly where he was sitting. I remember the game. 
and they you know, Spring for High played a box and one on me. So, you know, I'm playing a box and one and I'm trying to get, you know, when you play, when you're being box and one, which I was a lot that year, um, and I was trying to get my teammates involved. So, you know, I, I finished the first half with five points. And wow. uh, lucky for me, Tim Knight didn't leave. <laughs> I scored 29 points in the second half. Yeah. And so Tim Knight goes and talks to Ron Felling and, and the coaching staff and Coach Knight and says, this kid can play in the Big Ten. And that's how the ball got rolling again. And I think the next couple nights later, we played against the number one team in the uh, in the state, Matt Peoria Manual, and which is one of the probably you know in Peoria was our rival, was the best defensive team. I scored thirty points, and I did make a three. Wow! So confirmed that oh, this kid can play in the Big Ten, and so I kind of bet on myself because I I, I could have committed to who I originally wanted to commit to was Uni- St. Louis University uh, because I, Charlie Spoonhour was on yeah. me from the beginning, and uh, it was close to home, and he was going to give me an opportunity to start. And Spoonhour had some great teams back then at St. Louis. He had really turned that program around. Yes, he did, and uh, he's very, a very good coach. And uh, very, He was the only coach that came to my home. Coach Knight never came to Peoria. He never came to my home. He never did any of the things that uh, five-star or even four-star recruits get. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, that you know, once I went, I came to a game, I, I want to say they were playing Purdue. And, um, you know, I think Brian Evans, and they had lost the game. I think it was a home game. And, and it, I walked into the locker room with my parents, and I remember they had this uh, room where there's a big, old-fashioned big-screen TV. Coach Knight was sitting there with his – with his drink, and he just, I, I peeked my head in the door, just let him know I was there. And he looked at me, said, come on, come in, son, have a seat. So I sat down, he said, uh, so what do you think? I was like, uh, it was a tough game, coach. He was like, ah, oh, not about that crap. He didn't say crap. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you think? He's like, are you going to come play for me at Indiana or what? And I just said, yeah. And that's how I committed to Indiana. I didn't even... <laughs> I didn't think about it, I, you know, because me, I knew that there was an opportunity for me to start. Not, He didn't guarantee me a starting spot. He didn't guarantee that I was going to play. I just knew that Neil Reed was one guard there, and they had Michael Lewis coming in, Jimenez coming in, and uh, Hart had graduated. So it was an opportunity for me to prove myself on the big stage. And uh, that's the story of how I was uh, – how I committed to Indiana University. The, so you and, you get there. You get there now as a freshman. You're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna learn real quick about the the crazed nature of the fans, the hysteria, if you will. But what what was it like one to start being actually coached by Knight? What what was it like to be in a practice with Coach Knight or have a conversation with him about basketball, about life? And and especially in the surrounding environment being so insane, what's it like to all of a sudden be thrust in the very heart of Hoosier hysteria? I mean, it was a uh, it was a very seamless transition for me because uh, I was kind of prepared coming from where I came from because the the, the basketball and, and, the, and the, uh, the approach to basketball was so tough and important where I came from that when I got to IU. It was it was a it was not hard for me to it was natural for me to play hard. It was naturally for me to want to play the game every day. It was naturally for me to want to compete. It was natural for me to want to win. So you know, I think Coach Knight took a liking to me immediately because he noticed that I was a gym rat. He knew I loved the game. So the first thing is you don't you don't really 
I didn't really have conversations with Coach Knight. Coach Knight talked at you. I didn't really talk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I was very, I was coachable in that regard and that I, I was, you know, I'm used to yelling. I'm used to, you know, all the antics and things of that nature. So I never really, I never took anything personal that he ever said. You know, everything was to motivate me and I get not, and make sure that I didn't get satisfied as a player and that I was always learning the nuances of motion offense and his style of defense to to increase my ch- chances to get an opportunity to help us win. And so, you know, it was I, I would I would see guys break down as he raised his voice or or he coached and and I, would, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, what, you, what is he supposed to say? <laughs> He's supposed to, you know, call you over, put put his arm around your shoulder, and beg you to do something like that. It was normal to me, so I never, I never felt uh, a, a wrath of the wrath of Coach Knight, or or as as you want to put it, Meek, as coming in as a freshman. It was just a natural thing, and I think you could tell by the, the my my play that. You know, I felt I belong there, and then I, that I adjusted pretty well. So. Yeah, your, I mean, your stats, freshman mm-hmm. through senior year. Obviously, senior year, you mm-hmm. you you averaged over nineteen points a game. But from mm-hmm. freshman year, I mean, you I think you averaged what sixteen points your freshman year, like almost thirteen and a half. Thirteen and a half, then went to sixteen. You yeah. hit the ground running, mm-hmm. but help us a little bit here. Give us some behind the scenes funny story. Because I, I think part of what everybody loved about Coach Knight from a fan's perspective, obviously we loved the winning, we loved how he won, we loved that he had players that represented the school well, but he was also really funny. So I mean, funny. In the press, he was just so funny. Right. Can you give us something behind the scenes to, to satisfy our need to know that Knight was as funny as we think he was? Well, I, I mean, I was just, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's few, it's a few stories, but it's just, you guys hit it on the head. He was more of a comedian than he was anything else. And to me, it was funny because the way he said things and, and the stories that he told, he was brilliant when it comes to being a historian, telling the stories. We would get all of these war vets and all of these former players from West Point coming in. He would remember to a T everything that they did. And, you know, and I, I just, the, the stories, the, 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 he always, it was always a method to the madness. And you just had to pick that out. And, uh, you know, and I can't, you guys put me on the spot. I, just, I just <laughs> think of anything right now, but as, if it comes to me, I will. All right, Yeah, sure. just, just jump back in with it. Yeah. Now, we, we're talking about coach, but you also came yeah. in uh, with somebody. I, I was I was scrolling through your tweets, and you mm-hmm. had given a birthday shout to, to Luke uh, Jimenez. And yeah. I know it it appeared to us that you guys were really close buddies. And if you could talk to that or other guys on the team you really connected with on and off the court, one or the other, what were some of the memories and moments you take away from those guys? I mean, Luke was my freshman roommate. So, you know, we, we definitely share share history. You know, he's one of the guys I still keep in touch with and have a good relationship with. Uh, and, and Luke was my senior, senior year roommate as well. So we came in and we finished together. So, uh, you know, guys like that, I still I still communicate or have talked to. Uh, I mean, I've played with a lot of guys over the four years, but I would say 80% of them I have spoken to or I keep in touch with uh, throughout the years, you know, with Mike being a, being a coach in Nebraska and uh, Mike Lewis being a coach in Nebraska. Yeah. I've even run into Luke Recker in Peoria, uh, you know, had a great conversation with him about, you know, his, uh, you know, his decisions and, 
and how they affected him and what he would do and uh you know what he would have done differently uh and and what we could have been if you know those guys would have stayed and and uh and continued to be hoosiers throughout but uh uh, you know, just you know, it's a it's a uh, it's a weird family though. Now it's not it's not as uh, strong as as people might think. You know, with, with Coach Knight being you know gone and and not returning, and and uh, you know then you have Coach Cream's group of guys, and it, it's kind of like a I would say a separated family of, of guys. And I've always felt like you know I don't know if you know guys where I pinned a letter to Coach Knight when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame. That I always felt like he was the uh, the the, uh, the, the bridge to to bringing it all together and, and it never happened. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of weird, uh, you know, when you get, you know, I haven't been back into it in, in a formal setting since the, the hall of fame. So, you know, you know, while you stay in touch with these guys, you're really not, I'm, I'm sorry, me personally, while I'm in, you know, I, I know where these guys are doing and I have an idea and I'm trying to keep a relationship with these guys. I really haven't been seen them physically and being able to spend time with them and do those things because of how things are in, in Hoosier Nation right now. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the guy to bring it back is Coach Knight, and we all know he's probably not coming back. So, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because we have such deep history. And, uh, you know, when it comes to guys who have done going on and done do, do great things, guys who are managers or, or head coaches now, and, you know, it's just such a rich and deep tradition. It's a shame that it seems as if it's so – so separate right now, but my relationship with my with the with the guys that I play with is is pretty good. Well, now we we did get a chance to talk with AJ Moyer, mm-hmm. and he did finally make it back for the Louisville game this year, and mm-hmm. immediately connected with Archie. And uh, hearing what you just said, and we being the Hoosier hysterics who are going to be there rooting for the program until mm-hmm. the day we die, we we want you to come back former players to come back going all the way back and yep. and have that community again mm-hmm. do you feel with archie what you've heard or or or, or seen uh, that that this could be the start of a new chapter where the whole family can start to come back together or if not is there some other way you could see that happening because it does seem so important not just for everybody to have a warm fuzzy feeling but ultimately for the health of the program on the court right yeah i mean i i had a chance to run into archie on the recruiting trail and i just had a brief conversation with him he seemed like a very genuine guy and you know I, me i'm the type of i'm a type of person that i can i have a, I have a good feeling of uh, people's gen, being genuine or not and Archie came off to me as very genuine and a, and, a, and a love for the game of basketball. He invited me back to an event that they were having that summer, but I wasn't able to make it. And uh, but you know, I, it's very important to me that you know before I go that 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 everything comes back full circle. And uh, I think that you know, and I think that it's, it's, it needs to happen because as you can see, I mean, it's, it's to me just watching Twitter. And you know, I, I used to respond when I wasn't working in the game and I used to kind of interact and I don't anymore. So now I'm just kind of watching from afar and, you know, you can see the emotions going up and down. You can see people trying to point to this coach and that coach and the lack of patience within the, the community of our fans. And, 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 and it all goes, it all boils down to it, you have to be patient and but we as alums and the guys that are that are able, they I think they 
need to be more vocal and speaking about being patient and supporting Archie and what he's trying to do, knowing that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. But, I, you know, I think we live in such a world of instant gratification. Everybody thinks, you know, we, we got Rome. Uh, uh, Indiana has Romeo Langford. They go, they're supposed to go to the Final Four right now. And that's just unfair to him. And that's unfair to Archie. But people don't understand how hard it is to be consistent as a freshman in the Big Ten. You have, you know, and I think that it's heightened because the kid is probably going to be a number of top ten draft pick. He's going to get out of it. Everybody wants everything right now. But it's important that, you know, people just exercise patience and and, and uh, the, the family of Indiana basketball needs to be worked on just as much as the actual current team and state of Indiana basketball and it's a lot of perceived damages a lot of separation you know with the with the uh, uh, 30 for 30 that came out yeah. and coach Knight not coming back and in that whole era like I've, I've to, you know, I was disappointed I mean for a while I was being blamed for coach Knight and him you know not having success in our years and my idea of success and other people's idea of success are two different things uh, you know, and, 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 but, you know, it, it is what it is and the expectations are what they were. And, but, you know, um, and I, I think that it's just, it's just all needs, it needs to come to come together and be brought together. And, and, but, and like I said, in my opinion, there's only one person that can do that. And this, this one person refuses to, to do it. So it's like, what do you, how do you get it back going from there? And that's, that's, that's the thing that we're faced with. As, as you know, that our uh, former uh, alums are faced with, and you know, it's, it's tough to it's tough to to know that you have such rich tradition and and, and, and you were a part of something so special, but yet you don't really, you know, don't, I don't personally feel like you know we're all on the same team. Mm. It feels like we're all separated and we're in our own era. And it, what's important is, is is that you know, if you're a fan, and I'm a fan of Indiana basketball. Uh, when Loyola is not playing, when it, it's important that we support and we and we do what we can to to help that uh, sure. those guys that can today succeed. Uh, you mentioned the open letter that you wrote in 2014 before the Hall of Fame induction, and I wanted to ask you a couple questions about that because I remember reading it when you wrote it, and I remember being heartbroken reading it. I mean, I felt, and I'll read some excerpts from it because I'd love to get into it a little bit. I mean, I felt the pain that it felt like you were expressing in that letter. But mm -hmm. one thing I'd love to ask you about that you mentioned in the letter, which is a theme that has come up now with A.J. Moye and Jared Jeffries. We, we interviewed Jared as well. Mm -hmm. One guy is mentioned by A.J., by Jared, and now you in, in, in the open letter, and that's Tim Garl. Mm -hmm. That there is A.J. and Jared spoke so lovingly about Tim and how important he is to everyone who went through Indiana University's program. And there was a thought from, I think from AJ or from Jared, that maybe Tim wasn't embraced the way that he should have been with some prior administration or some prior mm -hmm. coaching teams. And that that was an example of a way to respect what was there before, what, what a way to connect to the night years. And you right. mentioned Tim in your, uh, in your open letter. I was just wondering if you could speak to the importance of Tim and what he means to you. Yeah, you know, first of all, the open letter was, it was a, a plea. You know, people understand that I don't have a personal relationship with Coach Knight. Never had, not as a player and not as an adult. I've never had a personal relationship with him. And But the, t the few times that I've reached out to Coach Knight and called him and needed help, um, he's, he's responded right away. 
And but that's the extent of your relationship with Coach Knight. And because of that, as a player, you as a as a as a player during that time period and how how my senior year ended abruptly because of all that was going around it. I miss I personally missed out on a lot of things because of uh because of that lack of a relationship when you when you see guys like uh you know the team Cleves and Tom Izzo and all these coaches and players going to the uh the, the player of the year award ceremony and I wasn't able to participate in that things of that nature so I felt at that time that was a hall of fame would have been nice for coach Knight to show up and do that you know I knew it was a long shot because I knew I didn't have a relationship with you know, you had to be on the Final Four team and be a champion, to, one of his champions, to have that kind of relationship with him. But I just wasn't – I just didn't do that. But I do feel like, uh, you know, Tim Garl is the – the, the, the what is, would have been the bridge, the bridge to, to both eras, you know. But also, you know, just looking back, I felt like having former players uh, employed there or on the staff there, as, as at that time I was trying to get on staff there, I felt like that could have been – a bridge to help even Tim out because Tim Tim was not that is not a guy that wants the publicity and he's not vote he's not going to speak up but you know he is the leader within it you know it's mm. different so you know uh, but I felt like the lack of a presence of uh, of alumni who who were there either in the late nineties or the or or in or the early two thousands and to bridge that gap to when Tom Green took over you know and of course. You know, when coaches come in, they want their own people in there. And I'm not saying that Tom Crean wanted his own people in there, but I can see that happening because I'm I'm in the game now and I can see what happens when a new staff comes in. You know, there's a lot of interest from a lot of people and there are a lot of relationships that you have. So Garl being there, I can I can see that what AJ mentioned or whichever guy mentioned that possibly being the case. But you know, Tim is a guy that still the test of time. You gotta think about it. this guy's been through every era. Of Bob of every era up to this to today, which is crazy. You think of stories that that he has, that you know, uh, from 1975 or whenever he started to today. So he definitely he did, uh, has earned a respect and, and should be very 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 well res, uh, respected when he leaves and be inducted in everything and, and as a guy who persevered and stood through it all. I, I have to say, you mentioned Mike Lewis, your you know college. Mm-hmm um backcourt mate and mm-hmm. i have to say as a fan and somebody who doesn't just root for the players that play for the years that they're at indiana and then forget about them i mean i'm fo- i followed your career i was rooting for you when you were coaching your team at, at the tbt tournament i was yeah. rooting for you guys because when you're an indiana fan you stick by the players that represented the school well well after they leave the school because that's how we stay connected and it is very strange for me to see Mike Lewis, uh, an assistant coach at Nebraska. Or Dane up Dane at, at Michigan State. And it to is see weird. You at Loyola. It is a it is a weird thing to have three former Hoosiers who are all who all made their mark at Indiana and mm-hmm. and to be at other Division One schools and us to not have anybody as an assistant coach on our staff. It is and look, I love Archie, and I love what he's doing, and I support him. But it is a weird feeling, especially when you look at teams like Duke and North Carolina and and Michigan State and some of these others that have that have this long legacy of having former players come back and be on the staff. It's mm-hmm. it's a weird feeling. I, I I don't I don't know if that if that bothers you at all. I mean, back then it did because I was actually trying to to 
come in and have an impact in that in that way, maybe in player development or something like that. But it, I just wasn't received at that time. So, but then, but you know, Mike Lewis was uh, has been in the game for a while. Dane has been in the game for a while. But for some reason, you know, they're not being you know weren't, weren't being asked to come back. So, I mean, I see it in the top program. So if I'm one, if I want to be one of the top programs. And I see how those coaches are receiving their former players. Like Coach K, I mean, Coach K does it to the to the tenth degree, and uh, you know North Carolina and these places that have two or three guys on their staff that have been through the battle. They 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 stayed in Disco Briscoe. They were on the they were <laughs> going, uh, to the frat parties. They was hanging out. They know the city. They know they can be. They're young enough to be a bridge to the players. Yeah, but old enough to be mature and make the right decisions when it comes to basketball and, and family and things of that nature. I just thought it was a no-brainer at that time, and and I think I, I think I still think that it's something that that can be done to help you know ease some of the tension that that's being created with without the instant gratification that the fan, people feel like they should have right now is to hire a couple of those guys and bring them in and to uh, and to to bridge that gap. Oh, I'm, I'm a big bridge the gap guy. It's like it's like going to your family reunion and you see your great grandfather there. Like, yeah. you know, it's a great feeling to know that that's that person comes from. I come from that person, right? You know, so on and so forth. To walk into a locker room and you see a former player, or you you're, you're struggling Romeo Langford right now, and you can have a guy like Mike Lewis or Dane Fife to talk to that's been through the battle. Is you know not this, and I know those those coaches that are there currently are, are great basketball minds coaches, and there's no need to make changes. But I'm speaking in that time period. Well, this is this is just such a consistent feedback we are getting from these great players who are from a different era, and I hope this is just a groundswell that happens. We know Dan Dockage is talking about it ad nauseum, and I'd have to imagine a lot of people around the program are as well. So let's hope this is a way we can move forward with the program while bringing in the history. I do want to get back a little bit to the glory days. I know Eric does too, two different ways. The first one, I need to take you back to November 5th, 1998. Temple mm-hmm. comes to town. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. They'd got you guys. I believe it was your freshman season a couple of years before mm-hmm. my buddy, Paul Barrera and I, who's listening. Hello, Paul. We have nosebleed seats. We see two people aren't there in good seats. So for the second half, we go down to the good seats. And what a game it is. I want to say, just to put Ward and I did not not talked about this game. I was also at that game. I mm-hmm. It was the only game of that season in the season ticket package that I got that I had good seats. I was behind the basket where magic happened. Yes. At the so, end. so with no spoiler alerts for those who don't remember that specific time and place. Could you take us through your memories of the game and, in particular, the end? I remember actually that was my junior year. My sophomore year was the year we lost. So we played them for the first time over in uh, at the Philadelphia Spectrum, and they beat us by like five or six points, and we had a chance to win at the end. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this rematch. And, you know, they were top five team, top 10 team at that time, a couple of pros. And I just remember being anxious to play. But when I came out, I wasn't firing on all cylinders. I only took nine shots total for the game. And then they play zone, so you had to be patient. So I, I, I remember uh, thinking to myself, like, man, get an open shot. You know, once I start struggling, it all comes back to the, it always – and my mind came back to the fundamentals. What am I doing wrong? My feet set. Is the ball in my in my hand correctly? Am I following through? 
So I'm thinking of those things as I'm over, I think it was over six or over seven uh, when I hit the first three. And I hit the first three and then we, we I think it, uh, we tied the game. And I'm like, okay. All right. So coach time, I think he, we called a timeout. We get the basketball and he, he drew up a play to get the, the uh, ball to Luke. I think it was Luke Recker in the corner. It was an overload play because they were in the zone. So, and I just remember it was all instinctive. I just, uh, I caught the ball and I passed fake and he jumped. And I said, oh, you know, here we go. <laughs> you know, I'm lining up. If you look at it, I put, I put the laces correctly in my hand. I got my feet set. I got into the shot and I held my follow through and just held my breath. And but then it, the ball went in and it was just an explosion. It was like somebody let off a bomb. I said. <laughs> but all right away, uh, Pepe Sanchez was coming up and I had to get get him stopped. And uh, you know I'm I'm like please don't ruin this moment. So <laughs> I try to turn him a little bit. I contest and I slowly just put my hands up in the air and everybody just mobbed me. And uh, you know and it was that, that season I wasn't playing particularly well at that time. I started off well start struggling and that game is what propelled me on to have a better season and uh you know it, it was probably it's my greatest moment in assembly hall can can i tell can i tell you what was happening a few rows up was paul and i who have these amazing seats to witness this shot the closest we've ever seen a game before this shot I turned to Paul. I, I and you know we're I'm blacked out, but what I distinctly remember <laughs> during the celebration was ripping his shirt and one of his buttons just flying four rows down and just ruining his shirt out of the debacle. <laughs> Paul couldn't have cared less. I thought it was hilarious, and we were delirious for the rest of the night. It it it, it sent us. I think we were smiling for a week after that. So thank you. Yes, and I remember. I also I remember having the distinct feeling in the celebration after that game, this is why I came to Indiana. It was, as a student, I wanted these moments. And it was, I mean, you know, the the four years, obviously, I was, I'm one year ahead of Ward. So I was there for three years. Ward and AJ. And AJ. You know, we were in the same class. One year older than you guys. (laughs) And, and, And there weren't. You know, as you said, we didn't go deep into the tournament those years, but those few moments at Assembly Hall, that moment where you hit that shot against Temple. And then I have to tell you, I've recently watched it again on YouTube. My favorite Mm -hmm. thing about the shot is not the shot. It's that you immediately played, you picked him up full court. You uh-huh. played defense on him. You turned him like three times. You yeah. prevented him from having a straight line where you see so many games these days where a guy hits a shot with 10 seconds left and then they celebrate and forgot to forget to play defense and the guy uh-huh. is on the, you know, at the three-point line in three seconds. You made him work. You made him take uh-huh. a contested shot. That was my, I just remember thinking, that's a Bobby Knight player right there. <laughs> he wasn't going to celebrate till the game was over. That was uh-huh. phenomenal. I just, yep. I just had the button, Paul's button flying off and your, and you holding the follow through yes. that like your the, even more less than the shot going through the hoop i just remember how long your arm stuck in the air oh yeah definitely i was that was on purpose yes so when you start struggling you gotta go back to the basics so aj i i have to ask you a couple questions about just being a student at indiana <laughs> Because I've read things from you um, since your days in Indiana where you talked about that the four years of Indiana were some of the happiest of your life, that you loved being a student at Indiana. Mm -hmm. So just curious, 
Did you have a favorite restaurant in Indiana? Did you have a favorite pizza? Did you have a favorite bar when you were old enough, obviously, not under 21? But what were your favorite places in Bloomington or just favorite memories as a student at IU outside of basketball? I mean, first of all, what comes to mind is, is, is Disco Briscoe. Like, that's yes. where it all for me. I was on the ninth floor, no no air conditioning at the time. So, you know, we were, we were making things happen over there. But we were close to the parties. So he'd always be able to walk over there, have a great time. And uh, that's the first thing I remember. And then, you know, it was more just eating at Buffalo's all the time. Yes. Yeah, we ate at Buffalo's a lot. But our training tables were restaurants at that time. There was a a steak and shake that was was one of our training tables. And there was a buffet that was across the street from steak and shake. Can't ever remember the name of it, but that's what was our other training table. So we ate there all the time. So we never really had to go buy food unless we just wanted to hang you know and then if we did we went to the convenient right next to assembly hall so can you um, explain for everybody the training tables thing because i i ask because there has been a lot of talk recently in the recruiting battles that indiana is fighting right now especially for and i know you can't talk about recruits but so i don't want to get you into that at all but there's been a lot of talk that there are some schools whose training tables are amazing, and Indiana was well behind the curve on these training tables. Can you explain what training tables are to people that wouldn't know? Because and, and, I was shocked. And why they're so important. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to, you know, at, at that time we weren't getting stipends to eat. You know, now they get, like, stipends to eat in addition to training tables. But training tables is uh, something that you have after every – we had after every practice that we can go to Steak and Shake and we can get a meal a meal for free. And uh, that's that's how we would, you know, basically nourish and replenish our bodies in, in addition to the pregame meals that we would get before games, which would be prepared in Assembly Hall. So they're very important. You know, I was at Northwestern uh, last year in – they had the they had their own uh, cooks and they had their own uh, what you uh, their, their nutritionists to you know to count calories and to create meal plans and I was just amazed because I said damn I played my whole four years on cooking shit you guys get to eat whatever they want to with you know, they got shakes and all of this stuff so it's definitely part of the uh, the battle to you know in, in, to establish yourself but. You know, it's very important. You have to use it because we just simply didn't have money to buy food back then. So it was, it was Disco Brisco and Frisco Melts. Yeah, Disco Brisco. That was ironically Fris, Frisco Melts and, uh, and 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 chicken tenders was my my, my yes. choice. Good, you know good choice. Now wait, what about pizza? What do you do for pizza in Bloomington? I wasn't a big pizza guy back then, but Papa John's was the place to go. Okay, all right. Uh, we had we had the little deals at Papa John's. We get a percentage off. And uh, that we, if we order pizza, it was Papa John's after the games. It was Papa John's, and, and we'd take them home. Or and I live right down. I cannot remember the name of my apartment complex, but it was kid. It was that caddy corner from Assembly Hall. Uh, Not and, the villas. I, was it Dunhill Apartments? Wasn't Dunhill or the villas? It was. It, it, it was the road that the villas was on, but it was going towards uh, past the convenience store that would be on your right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the. Was it Varsity? No, and not Hoosier Court and not Walnut Knolls. It might have been close to Walnut Knolls. Yeah, that I I was a Walnut Knolls guy. Yeah, over there in that area, I stayed for the for my five, final three years. So you know, we was in that area a lot, man. But the the scene at at IU as a as a student was awesome, man. You never really 
it was the, it, now that I'm at a smaller school and I was at a smaller school last year, I realized how fortunate I was, you know, to be, to not see the same people every day. Right. You know, By the way, I got to ask you at Buffalo Louis, do you go, you go spicy, you go regular, the Buffalo sauce, or you go teriyaki? What do you do there? I am a, a spicy guy. So yeah. Any, spicy, any type of spice, spicy garlic or, you know, just any spicy. I like spicy or hot. So I'm with um, you. And not, what would so, you, what about a class? What would, did you, do you have any memory of a single class that you enjoyed? I'm going to pretend like you had to go to all your classes like I did. <laughs> uh, my favorite class is, I hate this crazy. You remember they had sex education? Yeah. <laughs> Sex education class, and then they had. And it's funny you brought it up. It was a theater class I took at the end of my senior year. Really, and I really enjoyed that class, uh, and I, I remember having to. Re- my first time acting, we had to recite one of the lines from "A Raisin in the Sun" to play, mm. and uh, uh, because of the basketball season, I was never really able to get into it like I really wanted to. But you know, uh, I remember those classes, those, and then in my communications classes that I took were really fun. So. But you know, it was you know the the uh, I hate to say it, but the eye candy that you had walking on. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> Finally, like, just to be completely honest, you know, you're a young boy, so so uh, it, was, it was a great experience. To get back to basketball for a second here, so you had an amazing career at Indiana. I ran through the accolades and the accomplishments at the beginning, but obviously you ran into turmoil that was of none, none of your doing. And it really started well before the Neil Reed situation. I mean, you had in your class was Jason Collier. Then you had Luke Recker in the class after you. And I think a lot of us that were there at the time and following the team, we thought, oh, my God, with AJ and Luke and and Jason and the guys that you already had and Mike Lewis coming in with you, there was a real thought that, wow, Coach Knight has put it together again. We've got the talent to compete at an elite level. And then... Obviously, Jason and Luke leave, and things start to go south mm-hmm. off the court. At right. what point? And and you talked a little bit about how senior year it it really was a a really a disaster at the end because of everything going on. But was right. there a moment where you thought, "Oh man, th- this this ship is just is going in a direction that we cannot turn it from"? And if yeah. there was that moment, what was that for you? Well, it's people, and, I, I, and I'm glad you asked that question because this, this is one of the uh, the downsides of, of uh, graduate the plan. I don't want to say downsides of plan for IU, but this is what I hear a lot. And you know, people understand my I we had turmoil every summer, all the way through my career. After my freshman year, Neil Reed left. After my sophomore during our sophomore year, Jason Collier left. During my junior, during the summer, going to my junior year, uh, um, record. Sorry, uh, records. I'm sorry, going into my senior year, record left. Yeah. And then the end of my senior year, the tape comes out. So you know, here I am. I'm, I'm a committed guy. I'm a competitor. Like I, I'm not a quitter. You know, even if I wasn't playing a lot or I wasn't playing well as I was in the beginning, of my middle of my junior year, I wasn't gonna really quit and leave. I always fought it out, and I, and I thought that you know the faithful would appreciate that. No matter what happened, you know, as long as you go out there and you give your all and you do your part, you know, I'm, I'm never turned to look back and said, you know, I wish I would have done this differently. So you know, it was 
you know, the, the Neil Reed thing and then the, the Collier thing and then the record thing and then all that stuff back to back is, is, is a lot to put up with as a young kid. And you have no idea uh, what, you know, what's really, really going on. And I didn't really learn what was really, really going on until I saw the 30 for 30. I'm like, damn, hmm. that was a lot going on. And then all you got to think about, we lost an assistant coach, uh, Ron Felling, during that time, during the season. So it was just like it never stopped. And you didn't and you didn't lose him under normal circumstances. I mean there was a ton of controversy around that. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It was it was just a mess. So it was like, you know, but you know, it it I always felt like you know, I would be as a as a player, you know, I'd be appreciated by Hoosier Nation because I stuck it out. And then yes. towards the end when when I graduated is I started hearing all of this noise like oh, AJ Guyton and was one of the reasons why the uh uh it was turmoil. Why? Why Coach Knight didn't survive and things. And, and I'm like, it's coming from uh, Dan Dockage, mm. which is killing me on the airwaves. And I didn't know where it was coming from. I thought me and this guy was really cool. I had no problems with with Dan Dockage. And then this is where it's weird because this is where I noticed that it, the silence of my of of the former players when Dan Dockage was going mm. at my head personally, not one person stood up and said, hey, man, it ain't his fault. Oh, you know wow, I mean? yeah. Our guy, not one player. So that made me, in addition to uh, not being uh, considered to come back and even work for Indiana, that made me separate myself from Indiana because, you know, silence speaks. Nobody was saying anything. And that disappointed me because then I kind of knew, like, oh, these guys didn't respect anything that I did because I didn't take this these this group of guys to the Final Four. When I honestly believe we overachieved. Yeah. With the, with the talent that we had. Yes, I believe we would have went to the Final Four if all those guys would have stayed. If Neil Reed would have stayed, we would have been a Sweet 16 team in the following year. If Luke Record would have stayed, we would have got to the Elite Eight with Luke Record. And then my senior year with all those guys, I think we would have been a Final Four team, but it didn't. It didn't work out that way. But right. you, but I got to learn about how people really perceived us as players. Like, and I remember Isaiah Thomas coming to practice and just cussing us out. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, yo, we giving a maximum effort. Well, we don't have pros over here. Right. We don't have four. You know, uh, four. Like, uh, you look at the uh, the recent winners of Yogi Ferrell's teams. Yogi's a pro, Vic's a pro, Zella's a pro. You, you, you're supposed to win the Big Ten when you have that kind of talent. That's the expectation. Yeah, we and 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 you get the turmoil that was happening with Coach Knight being in, and you know, and other thing is people understand that the the choking incident happened my freshman year, but it didn't come out until my senior year. So it was it was it was perfect timing to ruin what we because we were rolling my senior year. And it was perfect timing to come in and just destroy it. And, you know, did you ever hear me complain about anything? I always defended Coach Knight because I always felt like, you know, that's what you did. You, you, and, Mike, you and Michael Lewis called a press conference. Absolutely. You never you, – you defend your parents. You yeah. defend your, the, your, the, your, uh, what's going on. You don't, you don't expose what's going on inside of your team. Well, unless, and it's, unless you're just coming out with black eyes and you just <laughs> – <laughs> 
Well, and it is, it's upsetting that you say you defend your parents, but you felt like your brothers, maybe even your big brothers from, from previous teams weren't there to have your back because as, as your contemporary there at IU, I can promise you, I never talked to one student who ever, ever thought you did anything detrimental to the program and you were one of the only reasons that we kept showing up. So it's it's just such a shock to hear you say this stuff, but that these other guys didn't have your back. It's it's definitely, I can see why it's disheartening. Now, Eric has a question specifically about Neil. Though. I do, and I don't want to get too far into it, but, but you brought it up that, that I think is the most interesting thing. The uh-huh. Neil Reed incident happened your freshman year. Uh-huh. It didn't come out in the tape till your senior year. My right. question is, do you remember anyone, Neil or anyone on the team, talking about that incident before your senior year? You know what? It, it, to be, we, I didn't remember what was – because when it happened, I remembered it happening. But then nobody ever spoke of it until the tape came out. Nobody – we never had conversations about it. There were no stories written about it. So you got to think about that. It was three years – three and a half years later – and we're like, man, we don't we don't remember nothing like that, man. I mean, what's going? You know, we and then you, uh, and then we. I when I when I saw the tape, I was like, oh, that I remembered. Okay, I remember that. Even the seniors of that year, Patterson. When people when when, when Neil rest in peace, Neil. I like I love Neil as a player. I I hated the fact that Neil wanted to leave or, or needed to leave. Neil Neil was not. He did not leave because of AJ Guy. I love playing with Neil, and but you know you got to do what you have to do and what you think is right for your career and his his uh senior the, the 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 guys he came with in with are the ones who voted him off the team we didn't vote him off the team his the uh, uh Patterson and Miller and the guys that he came in with decided that he was time for him to go and that's the position that 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 they were put in and that's what they decided so you know he you know it was that it was very, very feasible. People don't understand that. They think that it happened my senior year. I mean, my fresh, my senior year, and then it came out the end of the senior year. No, that was three years later. So when me and Mike were up there talking, we were really just, we were really asked, did we want to speak on Coach Knight's behalf? And we like, yeah, it's the middle of our season. This stuff is keeping Coach Knight from helping us prepare. He's not at our practices. We're standing around. We just, I mean, because he came out right before the Big Ten tournament started. And and that you know we we were a shell of ourselves for those two games those two tournament games we, because Coach Knight our leader wasn't around and and it, we it, and shout out to Pepperdine and, and whoever beat us in the tournament but we needed everybody in order to to win because we didn't have pros right so without Coach Knight being there that's just the head of the snake is gone so and it's tough to overcome and you know and now that I'm in coaching and I see coaches dealing with things I'm like. You got to is it, you have to be a superhero to to overcome what Coach Knight was was being. And then I saw the thirty for thirty, and I didn't know all of that, like all what was going on with the higher ups, the administration, and meetings with Coach Knight. Now now I know where he was. Right. <laughs> At the time, I didn't know where he was. So, uh, you know, you would think that people, especially your players, players that you have went through it with Coach Knight from seventies all the way up until that time, they would understand. And then when people are pounding your head in about and, and making false accusations about you, that they will come in your defense. That's when I figured out, oh, this ain't the, this ain't the family. Right. Because I know this was my brother or my sister. You know, they would have your heads if you talk crazy about me 
Like, there's no one that I was consistent as a basketball player from my freshman year through my senior year, all the way up until the last game, where I to the point where if I had a bad game, we would lose. Right. And that, that's hard on a 6-1 guard. Like, I'm not Michael Jordan out here and just like, you know what I mean? If I was Michael Jordan, we would have went to the Final Four. But Well, well that's, a, that's a pretty good segue to what happened next for you. Can uh, can we move? Can, yeah, sure. I you, just wanted to ask one more before we just before we move on because you talked about the thirty for thirty. Do yeah. you in watching it? Did they get anything wrong? Is there anything that you watch that and you go, well, that's not the full story, or they're making too much of a big deal of that specific thing? Was there anything that you just living through it thought this isn't fair? Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that it was a uh, it was a, a story that was pro pro every pro. Uh, bashing coach night right to me if you're gonna have a story i mean both sides of the story need to be told and don't tell the story you know what i mean so uh i I learned a lot about the aftermath because remember when he when all this happened this was in uh, when he got fired was like in september or something like that i'm preparing to go play for the chicago bulls and after the game at pepperdine i'm going right into i'm now i'm realizing i'm a pro prospect so now I'm going right into trying to prepare to get drafted by somebody and going on workouts and things like that. So I had no idea any of that was going on. So I learned a lot. But when it comes to the accuracy of uh, the, the events that happened, uh, no, I think it was pretty accurate. I mean, it happened. I was there when it when it happened, and you know, I you know, I it wasn't as uh, it wasn't as dramatic as they made it. You know what I mean? I, you know, we've always seen coach grab me before. I, I even in a game, I remember him jokingly choking me in the game, but it was because I had kicked the ball off my leg. And I was trying to do too much offensively. He was like, come here. Yada. I'm like, oh, you know, and then he slapped me on the butt afterwards. But, you know, that was his form. Now, do I don't I don't condone any coaches putting their hands on kids in the way that and I think at that now looking back, he should have been uh, you know, punished for it at that time. And I think everything would be a lot different if he was like sincerely punished for what exactly happened there. And then he did get punished. He ended up getting getting fired. But I think it was his temperament that got him fired. It wasn't the situation. But you know, it was something that you know when you look back, it's like, man, I was I was just a part of some crazy, some crazy stuff. And yes, I, I, I don't realize it. You know, I'm just, I'm just in it. You know, I'm going day by day. I'm just trying to get to practice. I'm trying to make <laughs> I'm not thinking about, you know, what Coach Knight did in 1998. <laughs> so, so uh, Eric, Eric just fed me this question. I'll take it. It's great. Uh, you, you were an Illinois guy, not very uh, into the whole Indiana thing before you got there. You got mm-hmm. there. You had an amazing individual career with some real mm-hmm. games that were highlights for all of us. And then it, it, there was so much drama along the way, and then it couldn't have ended worse so far as you, the program, the season. And, and so why do you still love Indiana basketball? Why are you still a fan if there wasn't the history before, and then you felt really rejected by the family or lack thereof leaving? Because at the end of the, at the, end of the day, you have to – uh, there are many, many – more great moments than there was negative moments for me. Yeah, it came crashing down for me personally, individually as a player. Uh, but and, and but at the same time, I'll never forget all those great moments of 
the the the, one, the Purdue games and the Michigan game and the Penn State game and the Temple game and and um, it just the uh, the games go on and on where you know we battle you know what I mean I like I told you guys in the beginning those teams overachieved in my opinion compared to where the game was going and what Michigan State had and what Minnesota had and what these guys had Coach Knight was still was still milking the most out of the least amount of talent, which makes him the greatest coach of all time to me. Now that I'm in coaching, right. you know what I mean? Guys are out here winning with, with, with NBA players and draft picks. And then they're getting, Oh, you're the greatest coach. You know, so, you know if, if, when you can, when you can get the most out of, of, of the group of guys, like, like a guy like Kirk Hastings, that was a red shirt freshman and weighed, uh, you know, was six, eight, two ten when he, I mean, six, eight, 200 when he came in. And turn him help turn into an all American. That's that's great coaching. That's great player development, in my opinion. So you know, I, I was I'm I'm very appreciative of the whole, and not solely focused on the one thing that that the the one the one moments in, in our my career that went wrong. And uh, and I noticed along the way that there you know, there were a lot of fans that appreciated it as well. So that's what made me like, man, I, why would I be worried about what I what I didn't do 10 years ago? There was a lot of things. There was a lot of circumstances that didn't allow us to be successful. And especially being a coach now, you see what, how big those distractions are and, and, and it's hard to overcome. So, you know, I'm definitely uh, always going to be an Indiana fan and, and want to see the next guy do better or the next guy surpass records are made to be broken. And in my opinion, you can either make a mark, you can, you can make a mark as a, as a, as a team, you can make a mark individually, or you can make a mark in bulk. And unfortunately I was able to leave a mark at Indiana university in spite of all the turmoil that happened. And I would pray that, and I would hope that the fans understood, saw the consistency in my, in, 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 in me, personally and, and, and to help Indiana win 20 games each year and make the NCAA tournament each year as they haven't done the last two. Right. Well, AJ, I just have to tell you, I was going to save this for the end, but I'm going to say it now. I, I grew up an Indiana fan. I went to Indiana University and chose it over other schools that may have been better academic institutions than Indiana, but I chose Indiana because of the basketball program. In mm-hmm. my four years there, I got to watch you play for the last three of my time there. When I think back, and and since then, I moved out to Los Angeles, started a career in the entertainment business. Ward has a career in the entertainment business. What connects us as friends more than anything is Indiana University basketball. And what what cemented our love for Indiana was our four years at Indiana. And when I think back on my time at Indiana, I think back on you and watching you play. And I was surrounded by 17,000 other fans every game that I went to for four years, three years, sold out games where you played. You not only left a mark on Indiana, you left a mark on so many individual people who when they think back at Indiana, they think back at the Temple moment. They think mm-hmm. back at your just the most beautiful three-point shot I've ever seen in my life. Michigan they, State. I think about Michigan State game all the time. I just – so I, I hope I, – I know that it's been stained because of what happened with Coach Knight and mm-hmm. what has happened with some crazy people since. But <laughs> you 
you are such a big part of what my love for Indiana University and Indiana University basketball is built on. I just mm-hmm. hope you know that I'm not the only one. I'm sitting next to a guy who feels the same way. And there are hundreds of thousands and millions of us. And for our four years there, you were our guy. And we couldn't be prouder that you were our guy. I appreciate that, man. And that means a lot to me because, uh, you know, it was. It, and, I, and I tell people all the time, I will not do it any different. I will go back to Indiana. I will go through the same thing. But, you know, if, I, if I'd have known what I was going through at that time, I would have went. Even it's harder, even harder. If I, if there is a harder for me, I would have went even. Harder. Oh, there's a, uh, you know, there's a, it's, it's just you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. And you ask me that question, I don't regret anything. Like I don't, you know, I, people make jokes. I remember Dan Doc saying, "Oh, I, he scored five more points than me uh, in, in his last game." It was like a running joke. I'm like, okay, but at the end <laughs> yeah. of the day, whatever. Like nobody wants to be locked in a gym one on one with you. No. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So raise your hand if you would like to do that. Right. By the way, let me throw out one stat. Let me throw out one stat. Your Mm -hmm. sophomore year, you made 79 Mm three-pointers. Our entire team so far this year has about 105. Oh, I I I thought you were going to say our whole team this year has made seven or nine. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised we've made more than AJ so, made the whole year. I mean, and and you, your name is it. Here's also what I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. You played 96 to 2000. The mm-hmm. three point shot obviously was a big part of the game. It was nowhere wow. near as part as big of a part of the game as it is today. And there mm-hmm. have been guys like Yogi Ferrell who played in Indiana for four years within the stretch offense three-point game and you are still the number one all-time three-point shooter in indiana so aj are, are you sure you don't have any eligibility left <laughs> I, i'm so glad you guys because when you're old when you're old and washed up as i am right now you sit back and you you think about those exact things like these guys are playing more games they have more possessions the game is faster shot clock is shorter is shorter and they still haven't passed me. <laughs> really gunning, golly. But uh, it just shows. And, and and the one thing is that I'm very proud of is that I help give our team a chance to win every night, despite being the guy. Now that I'm a coach, I understand what it is to try to take a guy or out of the offense and try to take things away from the guy. But Coach Knight put me in such a position that it was almost impossible to take me out of the game. I was eventually going to get going. And to be consistent, knowing that you're the one guy on the team that could really just explode and you were helping give yourself a chance. And for, for if I played, I think I played 29 game my senior, games my senior year and I only had three bad games, uh, you know, just being, you know, being the focal point of the offense. I'm proud of that. That's you nothing for be. me to be disappointed about. No. You know, it, I wish I would have had a, a Oladipo or a Zeller with me, which was my record and my call year. That's what it really that would have really helped, you know, uh, us to win basketball games. But I told my mom, I said, I play this game to to bring to help bring joy to people's hearts. I want them to enjoy watching me play the game. AJ, and every year, every year, sorry, every year you played for Indiana, I knew that I could sit by my couch on Selection Sunday, and I was going to hear that Indiana name called and put on a seed line, and I could get excited and wait those four or five days before we played and get real excited. And over the last 20 years since you've been there, 
There's been a lot of years where I do not even turn on the television on Selection oh. Sunday because I cannot take it. So we didn't know how good we had it. Yeah, that's exactly but, right. So um, we were people are so spoiled because we, you know, they nine to late the early nineties was our year. The late eighties was our year, and the late seventies and the the game got stronger, quicker, and more athletic. And yes. we just we just didn't as a team, well, but. Well, because he was Coach Knight of the ability to to prepare and put a game plan together, we still had a chance to beat those guys every year. And Temple, Michigan State, Michigan, these guys had pros. And but Indiana, no matter who was out there, you always knew that you know we had a chance to, to win the game because we were going to be prepared. We weren't going to make a lot of mistakes, and we were going to be efficient offensively. So Did, you know, I think. I, Oh, I'm sorry. Did, did you know, AJ, that there are only two players in the history of Indiana University that are in the top 10 all time of scoring and assists? Only two. Mm. You are one of them. Really? And the and the other you guy know who the, the other one the is. The other guy cussed you out. The other guy cussed me out? Well, it's what you mentioned earlier. If I'm right, right? Who who isn't his is Isaiah? No, it's oh. Damon Bailey. Oh, never mind. Did Damon ever cuss you out, or was it just Isaiah? <laughs> no, Damon never cussed me. Only out. <laughs> you and Damon. Only you and if Damon Isaiah are in the top played, ten. If Isaiah played for years, he would have been there. That yeah, may have been, but, but that is an incredible. amazing statistic. Only two players in the top ten in points and assists: Damon Bailey and AJ Guyton. Wow. That is, a, and in the top, we already said you're fourth all-time scoring. And number two and three are Alfred and Schlunt. And we know you could take both those guys in a game of one-on-one. <laughs> right, let's, let's line it up. Let's yes. play. <laughs> all right. So, so let's yeah, yeah, go you, ahead, Mark. You, you were saying all these other teams had pros. Well, yeah. uh, we had a pro named A.J. Guyton. He went yeah. and he played for the uh-huh. Chicago Bulls for a couple seasons. Now, you're growing up in an Illinois guy. In the heyday of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. But then after you graduate IU, you're drafted by... This it was this your dream come true to be to be drafted by the Bulls, but then you're also going into this reality of this is the post Jordan, post Jackson, post championship years. How did that play out for you between your childhood fantasies and your reality? Of course, you know Michael Jordan was our favorite player growing up in Illinois, but I was a huge fan of basketball. Like I love Reggie Miller. Like, Reggie Miller was one of my favorite players. So there you go. You know, and, uh, and, and, and I, but I was a fan. I loved Isaiah Thomas. I loved all those guys. But Michael Jordan was at the pinnacle. But playing for the Bulls was definitely a dream come true because it was more for my family. It was like it was an opportunity for them to, to experience that. as an opportunity for me to be a part of it. And just being around the Bulls organization, you get the opportunity to meet Michael Jordan. You get a chance to meet Scottie Pippen. All these guys that I grew up you know, idolizing and watching play. You know, I was able to create relationships with, and they knew me, and, and which was a, a hell of a surprise to me that they, you know, Michael Jordan would actually call you by your first name and say, "What's up?" You know, <laughs> I just had pee running down my leg, like it was crazy. So, but uh, it was definitely a tough because you know everybody. Th- 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 here we go again with the the fanatic fan, the the fanatic expectation of things needing to turn around immediately. I thought that uh, at that time we were headed in the right direction, but you know, as far as you know, the talent that we had, because if you remember, it was I was on the team, Jamal Crawford was on the team, Ron Artest was on the team, Elton Brand was on the team. We ended up getting Tyson Chandler. All these guys end up having good 
uh, NBA careers separately outside of myself, which, uh, you know, I was just, to me, in, in my opinion, watching and knowing what I know now, I was just a little bit at, before my time with the type of game that I had uh, in order to succeed in the NBA. Now you see guys that play like me uh, making $50, $60 million. And, uh, you know, it was just not the, you know, timing, timing is everything in, in professional sports. Well, and, and you went over and you played in Europe. Mm-hmm. And and did you see the game changing over there in a way that has ended up altering it over here to the game we know now? Did you did you see some of that influence before it made its way over, or or, or what was what was it like to play basketball over there compared to here and where the game is now? You know, it was my my transition was tough at first because uh, you know I had to do it alone. You know, and it was it's hard to to go from the NBA to playing in Europe because. You know, you, you get spoiled playing in the NBA. You get five-star hotel, five-star everything. You get $90 a day in per diem. You get all these other things. Then you go to Europe, and it's just you in a, in a, in a small Italian apartment by yourself trying to figure out what you're going to eat each day uh, because, uh, you know, you don't really know read the menus. You don't know the food yet and all those type of things. They didn't They didn't have a steak-and-shake uh, training table in Italy for you? There was no – no. it was no westernization <laughs> – in Italy at that time. Right. It was only, you know what there was, though? There was a Texas row house that I found. And it became <laughs> my best friend. And, That's uh, great. Or two times a week eating steak. But, uh, you know, it was it was tough, you know, because the game, I did see how uh, they, they they begin to get a step ahead of us skill-wise because if you you know over there, as a the youth, they don't go to uh, college. You know, they don't go to college and play basketball. They, they go straight to pros, and they practice twice a day. The first practice is a skill practice, and the second practice is your regular practice. So our kids, you know, they don't do that. What they start doing was playing AAU basketball, which means you didn't practice at all. Or if you did practice, it was one or two times a week, and it was pre- pretty much BS. So that's, that's why you saw the skill uh, of these guys start to surpass the skill. So what we had here in the States was the athletic ability the, the quickness, size, and strength, and skill. That's why we were we were the most dominant, and we still are, but it's just they're creeping close, the most dominant country when it came to basketball. But these guys, they worked on their games three, three to four times a week, just dribbling, passing, and shooting. So, you know, as an American, I had to keep up with that. So I got better, even better skill-wise with the basketball and, and, and playing with the basketball as I got in Europe. You know what I mean? So that's what I mean by, like, you know, the game kind of, you know, my game was a little bit ahead of its time, Yeah. you know, when it comes to playing in the NBA today. Because back then, you had to enter the ball into a big man. You had to cut and go stand in the post. Go stand in the corner hope the big man throws you the ball. And they were you still allowing hand checking. Exactly. You were still allowing hand checking. And you didn't see guys just dribbling across half-court dribbling the ball and just shooting it. Like, <laughs> just, that's not how you made a team as a second-round pick. It just didn't work. So, uh, you know, it, it definitely was a – I could see the difference. And, you know, my team over there, I played with uh, Carlos Delfino, which was a, a longtime NBA guy. Yeah. I played yeah. with Marco Bellinelli over there, which is a long-time NBA, long-time NBA guy. Uh, and I played with uh, another NBA guy that played NBA. Oh, um, Arnold Motor, I don't know if you remember him. Sure. Uh, that played Utah back in the day. He was on my – we were loaded over there and went to the EuroLeague Final Four. And just we got annihilated by uh, Yessa Cavages and Anthony Parker in the final, but we made the Euro League final four, which was a big deal. Very cool. 
Um, but I, it was a great opportunity, man. It was it was real fun, and I learned a lot about the game of basketball over there. I got to ask you before we move on from the Bulls. Mm-hmm. So, did you ever get a chance to play in a gym against Michael Jordan? Was there ever a time where you got to go one on one against him? No, even better for me because I wouldn't want that embarrassing moment. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> it was crazy because Michael Jordan started his comeback with the Wizards, I believe in the summer of 2001, I believe. And I'm, I remember I had a Nike a Nike comp deal, a shoe deal. So I was down in Nike town, down on Michigan Ave in Chicago, and I and Jamal Crawford had always, always told me that Jordan was doing his workouts at this gym called Hoops, which is probably a couple miles away from Michigan Ave. So one day I'm down there, I just bought these brand new Michael Jordan, this whole outfit for me and my guys, and Jamal Crawford calls me. He's like, man, you need to get down to hoops, uh, Mike Mill playing. So I'm like, oh, cool, cool. I'll come check it out. So we hop in the whip. We come, we go check it out. I go leave me, me and my guy, we go sit on the wall. And so we, I'm looking out here on the floor. And out on the floor, I see Tim Hardaway. I see Anthony Hardaway. I see Ray Allen. I see Michael Finley. I see Antoine Walker. I see Charles Barkley. I see Charles Oakley. I'm like, it's an all-star I-? game. It was an all-star game. And I'm like, Lord, look, at we we just, these are people that we grew up watching. So we over here in heaven. So Michael Jordan walks in the gym wearing a Carolina blue tank top, Carolina blue shorts. You know the swag that Mike comes with. <laughs> Michael Jordan. It's like, I think Allen Iverson said in one of his interviews, when you see Mike, it's like a glow. Like Mike got the glow. So he's walking in, I'm hitting my man like, yo. MJ, it's my first time seeing him in person. So he's shooting around, shooting hoops, and uh, he kind of looks over at me and he said, "Hey, what's up? What's up, AJ?" And I'm, and you could, I could have just squealed right there. <laughs> hey, you know, but I gotta play tough. Hey, what's up, Mike? How you doing? You know, and he like, he's like, oh man, you good, man? I enjoy watching you play, man. You know, because you know he knows he played for Coach Knight in the 1984 Olympics. So, you know, he knows and he like, you know, he respects Coach Knight as a coach, you know, after having a conversation with him. So I'm like, you know, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And one thing Mike about Mike is Mike don't like to hear you too, don't really want to talk basketball. He like to talk about just regular life. You don't want to be, hey man, so what was it like hitting the shot? You know, that that'll just ruin it. So and so so he kinda like, you know, we 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 have a couple words and he walks away. Me and my boy, we just giggling. Like we can't believe it. So, you know, at this time his uh his his uh trainers tim grover he's calling he's starting to call out the names of the, the 10 that's going to play the first game mike picks his team so he picks his team so he calls out the first team and, and it was all the notables so the second team he says mj he's like mj thomas charles charles, charles oakley uh penny and aj so i'm like oh no i heard my name <laughs> <laughs> And not, and not one point did I say I was playing. <laughs> brand new Jordan outfit on. I had brand new Jordan shoes on. And I was not planning on scuffing them up. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, well, I kind of ignored it because I'm thinking maybe it's another AJ. In <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there and they all walk out as nine players on the floor. So Mike look at Tim like, yo, Mike, uh, yo Tim, who's the, who's the fifth guy? And then so... And he calls him out again, like so and so and so and so so and AJ. So he turned around, he looked at me. He's like, AJ, you playing? I said, Oh hell yeah. So I jump up. <laughs> <laughs> we play, man, we run the court, six and oh. And it was like 
it was the most incredible thing that I ever, I say it was more incredible than me playing in the NBA. Honestly, <laughs> wow. Mm. It was crazy to be on the floor, Michael Jordan encouraging you to shoot like I needed any encouragement. Encouraging <laughs> to, to be offensively aggressive. And, and that's kind of how my relationship and me knowing Michael Jordan grew, you know, and then with the Chicago Bulls, Charles Oakley was one of my best friends at that time so you know him and michael jordan are really close so right that was my first time meeting michael jordan and so anytime i came to hoop gym he put me on his team and nine times out of ten we ran a court. oh that we is that is incredible well we 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 know it's late where you are and and we don't want to keep going but i i think we should at least touch on where you're at now as as far as getting into the coaching realm is that something you always knew you you wanted to get into and and now you're there uh you're with Loyola in your first official assistant coach capacity is mm -hmm. it something along with is this something you kind of knew would be a natural outgrowth of being a player and and are you so consumed with the present that it's just about what's going on tomorrow morning or do you also have some long-term goals set up do you want to be a, a head coach uh, anything like that we'd just like to get to know uh, where where you see yourself going with this? Uh, great question, man. I've I've always wanted to. When I'm I'm a player I'm a player development guy. You know, I always wanted to see guys improve. You know, so I knew I wanted to be involved in the game. So I started off just doing uh, you know just, just workouts and stuff with kids and young kids. But then it developed into I just wanted to touch every level and try to figure out which level was best for me. So I started at the junior college level, got an opportunity there, and then I went to high school, and I coached there for two years. Coached at Juke over two years, high school for two years. And then in an opportunity that came for me to coach a semi-professional team in, in my near my city. So I did that for three years, and that's when I realized I had a, somewhat of a gift to coach. You know, not everybody can coach, especially not every former player can, you know, can, can actually coach the game and think the game as well. So, you know, that's where I was like, okay, I can do this. So then it became hell, what level I wanted to try because I had pro, I had pro experience as a player. And I've also had, you know, collegiate experience as a player and all that. So I decided to go, uh, you know, I did that for three years and then I decided to go to uh, the, the D league in uh, Windy City. I got an opportunity to coach there for a year back in 2016. But, but wait, AJ, hold on for one second because you're not giving yourself enough credit here, so I'm going to. You didn't just okay. coach. You won mm -hmm. Coach of the Year twice, and you won the championship three years in a row, right? right. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. all, all you did was win. All yeah, you we, did was win. Well, I guess I'm saying that when I say I figured I had a a, a knack for it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on what a knack means. <laughs> and, and it's just a I just figured I had a, a knack for kind of putting players in the right position and, and and motivating players and also having a great relationship with them because because I understand as a player what they're going through and what they're thinking on the floor you know and that's 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 a that's an advantage that I had to take advantage of so then I went into player development with Windy City and uh I did that and it was a little different because the, the G the D League was just kind of getting going so and but the opportunity came from Chris Collins to get into college coach, and I knew that that would be harder than any other level to get into. So I had to immediately just, you know what, it's all about experiences. Let me try that out. So when I got to Northwestern last year, I was like, I was just learning from Chris, and then you know he had a tough season last. We had a tough season that year, uh, last year. But I learned more from him during that season than I probably would have when he was winning, and you know just how he handled it and the class that he handled it with. And I was able to, to learn a lot from him. And then I had no idea 
you know, ironically, a guy that I'm, I'm working for here at Loyola, his name is Tavares Hardy. He played for Northwestern. Actually, we played uh, together at AAU back in 1995. Wow, crazy. Because I was a, a senior trying to get on the scene, and he was a sophomore. He was a young big. And so we developed a relationship then. We always stayed in touch. And then he played for Northwestern for Kevin O'Neill. Uh, for the first two years of his career, and then Bill Carmody. So I played against him my junior and senior year at Indiana, and um, I always always tease him. I'm eight and zero against him. Yeah, you I smoked him. <laughs> yeah, the good old days. Yeah. You mean you mean there was a time where we used to beat Northwestern regularly? <laughs> I mean, I can say I'm eight and zero against Northwestern, and and so I was always teasing him about that. But you know, but but it, I did have no idea that I was going to. Uh, you know, work with him. And it's funny how college works. You have no idea what's about to happen. You just got to keep your head down, keep working, build relationships. And and then, you know, we talk about getting into college culture. I started to really learn how, why it was so difficult for me to get into college. And even though with the career that I had, but you think about the time period that I was coming in coaching, uh, you know, Tom Crean was just starting, you know, and, you know, some coaches don't are comfortable with a guy like that coming in. And I, I could see that I could see it from his his uh, his eyes at that point. Like, okay, no, nah, is an excuse? No, I yeah, still would have I, hired I was me. Go, I was gonna say, guess what? It didn't work out for him. <laughs> right, I still would have hired me. Yeah. But now I see it from his view, and uh, so then, then Tavares called me in June of this year, and I'm like, I'm 40 years old. I need to take advantage of if I want to get into coaching. The time is now. So that's why, and that's how I ended up at uh, at Loyola. And even you know, you have to have recruiting ties and all that stuff. And 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 I, and I always have a, a great deal of gratitude for Tavares because he understands that you know some somebody has to give you an opportunity so you can prove yourself. And and for him to do that for me, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. And and, and it kind of helps soothe those wounds that I was, or, or those those uh, ill wills that I was holding for. Indiana's administration were not giving helping to give me an opportunity when I asked them for one back in 2011. So it really helped soothe that that some that it was all about finding the right person who believed in you uh, and believed in your story and knew your story and, and knew that you could nothing but you knew I could be nothing but a, 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 a positive addition to a coaching staff. There's nothing negative that I would bring to your coaching staff. I, you know? I would I would be lying if I'm not sitting here just hoping that someday in the not too distant future you're on that Indiana bench. It, it just it's and I and I know from the whole time I was there and in I know it's been 20 years AJ since we've been there. I've never heard one Indiana friend fan say anything negative about you and have nothing but the warmest feelings. And I know that would all come rushing back to all of us to be able to see you there. And whether it's there or some somewhere else, I'm sure you're going to do great. We're all going to be rooting for you. And, and whatever, whenever, however you can get back to Bloomington, I think you'll find anybody you walk past is going to be delighted to see you. I appreciate that, man. I'm the first to say that I think Archie will do a wonderful job because I've watched Archie at Dayton, and I know that Archie comes from the sport and he understands. So I think I think if people just need to continue to be patient, weather the storm. I think you know I think he'll do a wonderful job. 
and he'll make all the right moves, all the right decisions. So, man, I, I, I you know, even even Coach Knight came out and said he believed in Archie. So, <laughs> you yeah, know, you, you know, that guy talent to to coach the game. So, uh, you know, I think you got. I think we all are, are as fans and as alums. I think we're in good hands, man. We just got to be patient, man. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and by the way, I let it go before, but when you were referring to Northwestern last year, you called them we. That we yeah. don't. But know. he corrected that, him. That, well, no, no, yeah, he corrected he, he himself corrected, to say we. But but his his instinct was to be like, yeah, he yeah. had a bad season. Listen, AJ, <laughs> we only refers to Indiana for you. That's, and I just want to say to finish this out, I just want to read um, a line or two again from your 2014 open letter. And I know it was an open letter written to Coach Knight, but I'm going to respond to a couple of the lines for Hoosier Nation here. You, Mm -hmm. uh, not to recap the whole letter, but it was obviously you pleading to to Coach Knight to be there for uh, your induction. And you talked a lot about, and you talked a lot about um, in the letter about the struggle that you felt on not feeling like you were all part of the same family. And at one point you said, on the flip side, I am Indiana basketball. I couldn't abandon the few fan supporters and memories I still have. And then later on in it, you said in talking about how you felt about um, the your relationship with Indiana University, you said we are accepted, and you were referring to we as in the players that played for Coach Knight. We are accepted and appreciated, but there's a mission to move on from us. Mm-hmm. I can tell you unequivocally from Hoosier fans, there is no attempt and no desire to move on from anything that you did at Indiana. In fact, there is a movement to want to move back to what you did at Indiana because you represented the school the right way. You kept your head down amidst turmoil that no college kid should have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And you held your head high. You did it the right way. You got us to the tournament. You won. You performed well. You did it with grace. You did it with class. AJ, Mm -hmm. you are for many of us, what our time at Indiana was. We want to see you back at Assembly Hall as soon as possible, whether it's a visit, whether it's an anniversary year. And like Ward said, we would love to see you up and down those sidelines somehow as part of the staff. We hope Mm -hmm. it'll happen. But if it doesn't happen there, we want nothing but the best for you, man, because you are part of our extended Hoosier family. And I, for one, and I know Ward is too, we could not be prouder to call you part of our family. Hey guys, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys and, and, and your mission. And, and like you said, I think we should all it should all be connected. It shouldn't be moved on from. It should all these all these dots should be connected. And, and I thank you guys for giving me an opportunity to express myself, which I don't get a lot of opportunity to 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 talk about Indiana basketball. Nobody's deep down my board my door to have a conversation, but. Uh, I think I thank you guys for giving me an opportunity to express how I've been feeling, and and uh, just to know just to know that that uh, there's got there's guys like you out there who who are willing who are, are wanting to put things back together and keep keep the I call it keeping the nostalgia alive. That's right. And AJ, we would love to have you maybe after the season. We'd love to have you back on and talk about how it was your first full college season coaching. It'd be fun to talk about that. Awesome. I'll, I'll be I'll be grateful to man. I appreciate you guys. Good luck to you. Good luck to Loyola. Unless you ever play Indiana, then we're going to root like hell against you. (laughs) No problem. Thank you, man. All right, AJ. Go get him, man. Oh, you too, guys. You guys take care. You too. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. 
Archie and his boys, we discuss a unique matter. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.